I have thoroughly enjoyed this week. I believe every message has helped me in some shape, form, or another. I'm grateful for our pastor, for his leadership, for sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and for our church with this meeting, and for every, every pastor that's here today. The messages today have certainly stirred my heart. As we travel across this nation, we greatly need God to move. And I know we pray for revival, and we need revival. But I believe we're living in a day and age where it's not just the churches need revival. I believe our pulpits need revival. And I say amen to everything that was preached just a moment ago. And as you travel across this nation, you see it time and time again. Thank you for all the meals. Everything's been provided this week. It's been wonderful. The fellowship's been outstanding. I want you to turn your Bibles with me today, if you would please, to the book of Psalm 34. <clears throat> I've tried to exhort the last... Two messages. I believe that's the direction the Lord had led me. But today I want to take a little different route. Let's go to Psalm 34, and when you found the text, let's stand once again for the reading of the Word of God in the Scriptures. In Psalm 34, we'll begin reading in verse number 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivered them out of all, or excuse me, the Lord delivered him out of them all. Our fathers, we bow before you. We do thank you for the messages we've heard today and how you stirred our heart. And God, again, you burdened us to pray for our nation and for our churches and for our pastors and for the people of God. I would ask you now that you'll help us as we examine this text today. God, may you speak to us, may you encourage us, and I pray, Father, that you'll help someone that may be struggling, struggling with the subject matter in our text, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen, you may be seated. As we consider this passage of Scripture, there is a lot to be said in Psalm 34, if we had the time to read it in its entirety. It is the Psalm of David. The first portion of this psalm is a psalm of rejoicing. Notice, if you would please, in verse number one, he starts out by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In verse number three, and I'm just going to skip through some of these, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Verse number four, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Verse number six, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse number 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And so the first portion of this psalm, it is the blessings of God upon David and the Lord is in some ways, bringing revival to the heart and the soul of David, is in a state of rejoicing, a state of worship, a state of giving God all the glory for everything he's done. But then we come to the close of the psalm, and David reflects to a time before all of this transpired in his life. And so he says in verse number 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are Watch this, of a broken heart. And I want to preach for just a moment this evening on the subject matter, 
broken for blessings. Broken for blessings. In the world we live in, people despise broken things. Mrs. Ellis collects china as she's traveling. People gives her teacups and saucer plates and things of that nature. And I've noticed over the years that if a teacup or a piece of china gets broken, it is discarded. Anytime we break a tool in our toolbox, it is broken, it's discarded, we cast it away because that's the way we do in our society. But unfortunately, it goes far beyond the china and far beyond the toolboxes that we have in our vehicles and other areas of life. Too often, this philosophy carries over into ministry and our dealing with people. We need to be careful and guard against the fact that when someone is broken, that we cast them off. Because I'm here to remind us today that God is a God who is able to take broken things and put them back together. We throw them away and no longer need them. Damaged goods are rejected and they include people in the generation in which we live. I want you to look with me for just a moment. I had shared a brief thought in one of our board meetings about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and if you'd go with me to the book of Second uh, Samuel, I'd like to bring two brief points out here and then uh, we'll get right into the message, the main portion of it. In Second Samuel in chapter number, let's go to chapter number 23 first. The Bible says in verse number one, now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, Let the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I'm not going to take time to go through all of the text. But the Bible says these are the last words of David. And David in that text, he speaks of several things if you go through it. In the beginning, he talks about God's anointing. He said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. And so David reflects upon the anointing that God had put upon him. The Bible says in Psalm 20 and verse number 6 that the Lord saveth his anointed and he will hear him. Then we find that he speaks in verse number 3 of God's divine authority that is upon his life. We find that in verse number four, he deals with the attraction that he has unto the Lord. It says, and he shall be the light of the morning. And David was drawn to the throne of God on a continual basis. He talks and makes some admissions in his life. In verse number five, the Bible talks about David stating that God's blessings would be upon uh, his people and upon his children. And he says, although my house be not so with God, yea, hath, uh, yea, he hath made me an agreement, an everlasting covenant. And David says that though these are the laws that every family ought to live by and that every man of God, anointed of God, should live by, David confessed there were times and seasons in his own life that his family did not meet up to the standards in which God required. He spoke in verse number six of abolishment. But then if you turn back just a couple of uh, chapters in the Bible to chapter number 21, we find that David is going out to battle against the Philistines. 
And we find that as he goes out, a giant comes up, one of the sons of the giant. And the Bible said that he had a new sword in his hand and he thought to have slain David. But Abishai, in verse number 17, the son of Zeriah succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And so we find in this passage of Scripture that it is David's last battle. And his men come to him, and the men of Israel say to him, His mighty men, David, you cannot go out to battle with us anymore. This is the same David that had slew his uh, tens of thousands. This is the same David that had uh, killed the giant Goliath that we've heard about this week. This is the same uh, David that was king of Israel that with his bare hands smote the lion and the bear while he kept the sheep on the backside of the farm. This is the same David that God will take and raise up to be king over Israel. But there is something that God must do in his life before he can sit on the throne and God can use him to his full extent. God must break him. God must crush him. Not kill him, but God must break him and God must bring him down that God may rebuild him and build him up. And God allowed the harshest of circumstances to come into the life of David. Sometimes the Lord will use various means to get our attention. Sometimes it may be a spousal relationship that is challenged in some cases. It might be a child that is wayward that God uses to break the heart of a mother or a father. Sometimes it may be a church member that a pastor loves dearly and has invested so much of their life and time and energy into. Sometimes God will use the world to break us. He'll break our spirits. It'll break our heart that he may rebuild it and remold it. It is on crushed grain that a man is fed and it is by bruised plants that a man is restored to health. God uses broken things in the Bible. Let me give you a couple very briefly. The Bible tells us in Judges 7 and verse 18 and 19 that God used broken pitchers and the light as it shone out and the trumpets as they sound. God gave Israel victory. He gave it to Gideon, the man of God. God uses broken things in the Bible. Then there was the broken alabaster box that we've heard of. Already this week in Mark's gospel, chapter number 14 and verse number 13, for the anointment of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and it was all poured out, but it started with an alabaster box that had to be broken in order for God to use it. Sometimes God will allow the will to be broken, the stubborn will 
that is unwilling to move, unwilling to be applicable and pliable to what God is trying to accomplish in the life and the heart of the individual. He used the broken body of Christ on Calvary to bring salvation to all humanity and all mankind. God uses broken things. The Bible tells us in Matthew 15 and verse number 36 that he took fish and bread and break it and fed the 5,000, the multitudes. I say again today, God uses broken things. Peter in Luke 5 and verse number 6, when they caught their fish on their trip, their net break and God used the broken net to teach Peter a valuable lesson in the ministry that he had prepared for him. In Acts 27 and verse number 14, Paul's ship that he was on was broken to pieces and yet it did not take his life and yet it was the avenue that God used to get him to Rome where God wanted him to be. And I say to you again that God uses broken things. There's broken vessels in Jeremiah 18. The clay that was marred in the hand of the potter. And he took it and made it again another vessel. It was a clay vessel before it was fired that he would take and crush and remake and remold into a usable, pliable vessel that could be used. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. He said, whenever God means to make a man great, he always first breaks him in pieces. After God broke Jacob, he made him a prince. The Bible said as he wrestled with God there at Peniel, that God reached out and touched the hollow of his thigh and God broke Jacob. And from that day forward, when he left there and he went out and the family looked at him and said, that man's limping. And as he got closer, they said, that's Jacob. God had touched him and God had broken him and he never walked the same again. He limped for the rest of his life. David was to be king over all of Israel. But God first had to break him. The way to the throne for David was not through the great coronation, though he was coronated king, but it was through the rejection of his brothers being hated by Saul, being hid in a cave of Adullam, suffering as an outcast in the path that God had chose in order to get David where David needed to be and where he got him where he needed to be, that God could have his hand upon him and use him. I say to you, God uses broken things. I have found in 44 years of ministry that often before God gets ready to expand the ministry and open greater doors of opportunity, there is often a deep spiritual battle that will often bring brokenness. You see, God will make us hungry before he feeds us. God will strip us of our pride before he robes us with, our, with his power. He makes nothing of us before he makes something of us. 
That's God. That's the way he works. I remember years ago, there was a young man that I used to run with and I got saved and tried to witness to him about the Lord. And I won't go through the whole story. But I preached at a church and his mother attended the church. I didn't know it when I uh, got to the church. It was after I preached, she came up and said, you don't know who I am, do you? And I said, you're familiar, but I can't place you. And she gave me her name. I said, I know exactly who you are. And it was a mother of a friend I ran with in school. And she said, do you mind if I call you Brother Ellis just to pray with me about my son? And she called his name. I said, sure, you're welcome to call anytime. And she called very frequent and would pray on the phone. And it was about a year or so, maybe a year and a half. She called and I answered the phone and she's weeping. And she said, Brother Ellis, God's answered our prayer. I said, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank God for the answered prayer. And she said, but wait a minute, Brother Ellis. He didn't answer just exactly the way we wanted it. And I said to her, I said, sister, I'll give you a last name. I said, sister Calhoun, what do you mean? She said, Brother Ellis, he is coming home. But he's coming home in a pine box. And she was broken. Now I'm going to preach on this this morning. It's not my main thrust of the text. But every young person, listen to me. If you have a godly mother and dad, if you have a godly mother and dad that loves you and prays for you and would give their life for you, you better be careful your life. God may use you as a catalyst to break the heart of a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather or someone in your life. God may use you as an instrument to crush their heart and make them and mold them into what he wants them to be. And they may not have been that before, but you listen to me. God also breaks the instrument that he uses. I remember years ago, I was preaching at the Gopi boarding school up in Mrs. Well, at that time, it's in Othello, Washington. They later moved to the state of Missouri. And I remember standing and preaching, and God moved in. Young people started getting their heart right with the Lord and God swept through and made revival. And young man and young lady after young man and young lady would go out and call their parents and ask for forgiveness and get it right. I didn't give all the details of my testimony early. I don't want to take up time in all the services, but I left home, young people, at the age of 13 and lived on the streets and lived like the devil in all of hell until I reached the age of 17. And there were many times I'd pick up the phone and call home. And my mother would pick up the phone and I couldn't say anything and nod would swell up in my throat. And she'd start weeping. She'd say, Terry, is that you, Terry? Is that my son? Is that my son? Is that my son? And I'd hang the phone up. 
But there came a day when I called and mom answered the phone. She said, hello. And I said, mom, this is Terry. And I got saved this morning. I gave my heart and life to Christ. God changed my life. But God had to break my parents to get them right with God. And then God broke me, the vessel, the instrument he used to break them. I say to you, God uses broken things. I was asked to preach a youth meeting in just outside of Denver, Colorado. I was actually in Lyons which is just slightly north, I guess it'd be northeast, just or northwest slightly of Denver. I showed up and I got there that night and when I pulled up in the parking lot, Peggy and I, those young people doing stuff that I've not, you don't even see worldly people do today. And I went in that night and poured my heart out. And I'm telling you, God broke me that night. I could hardly preach through the, tears and the brokenness that God gave me that night. After the service, there was an elderly preacher came up and he said, now, Mr. Ellis, he said, get hold of yourself. He said, that's pathetic. I said, what's pathetic? He said, them tears. He said, that is absolutely pathetic. He said, you're a young man. Get hold of yourself. I said, but preacher, God's broke my heart for these people. He said, I don't care. Get hold of yourself. Some of the counselors got mad at me. And Dr. Ron Garris, late president of Rock of Ages, was preaching about an hour, 45 minutes, an hour drive north of us. And I told Peggy, I did. Suddenly I told Peggy, I said, I'm going to let them have it tonight. They'll run me off so I can go hear Dr. Garris preach. And I did everything I could do to make them so mad at me that night. I preached on everything I'd seen, everything I hadn't seen, everything I thought they were doing, and everything that I thought they might do in their whole life. I mean, I laid into them. And you know what happened? The Holy Ghost of God began to move. There was a holy hush, and all of a sudden there was weeping and mourning and wailing in the congregation, and they started coming, and out of those hundreds of teens that came forward, there were 70-something got saved that first night, and one of them was a pastor's daughter who stood up and gave testimony and said, a year ago, I got involved with another crowd that was satanic worshipers, and she stood up and she began to weep uncontrolled and she said, I, one year ago, I sold my soul to the devil in worship. I had passed out a survey. I didn't ask them to sign their names on it, just about all the things they'd been involved with. And the counselors took them up and confiscated them. They looked at them and it was so bad, they said, you can't have them. Peggy and I was in a grocery store the next day. That young girl, that pastor's daughter that got saved out of it, that had sold her soul to Satan. Peggy's my witness. She came around the corner. She said, hey, Brother Ellis, thank you for preaching last night. She said, glory to God, I feel clean on the inside. God uses broken things. Amen. 
Some of you young people sitting under the sound of my voice, you may just be doing what you do until you get of age and you can do what you want to do. But I'm gonna tell you this morning, I'm gonna tell you today, you can't run and hide from God. He made your hiding place and he knows where you are. Some God, sometimes God will use our peers to break us. I found out that those I thought were my friends were not my friends before I got saved. I don't want to be careful here. I don't want to be critical because I'm not doing caustic today. But in the last few years, I've met more discouraged preachers that are throwing in the towel than I have 41 years of preaching. Everywhere we go. You know why? Because there's a lot of unbroken people in the pews. There's a lot of people in the pews that God has yet to break them and remake them and remold them into his image. Sometimes God will use circumstances beyond our control, just as he did in Joseph's life. Sometimes God will use a crisis as he did in Jacob's life. Sometimes God will use our own pride and self-sufficiencies just as he did in Saul's life. Can you imagine this? The Bible said that God took his spirit from Saul and he still was in administration for years after that. Can you imagine having to do all of that all those years in the flesh without God's guidance? And God will use circumstances beyond our control. Let me give you some difference in brokenness and pride if I may for just a moment. Proud people focus on their failures or the failures of others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need and failures. Proud people have critical fault-finding spirits about them. Broken people are compassionate and they can forgive much because they know that they have been forgiven much. Proud people are self-righteous and they look down upon others, but broken people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people love to prove that they are right. Broken people are willing to yield their right in order to be right. Proud people claim rights that they have and a demanding spirit, but broken people will be willing to yield their rights and they have a meek and lowly spirit. That doesn't mean they're a compromiser. It just means in their heart and in their spirit, they know God's on the throne and God will have the final say. Proud people are self-protective of their rights and reputation. Broken people are self-denying. Proud people desire to be served. Broken people desire to serve. Proud people desire to be a success, but broken people desire just to be faithful and make others a success. 
Proud people desire a self-advancement, but broken people desire to promote and push others. There's several that I've down. Let me, if I may, just skip through a few of them. Proud people are self-conscious. Broken people are not concerned with their self. They just want to be able to honor God and honor the master who has broken them and remade them and remolded them. Proud people wait for others to come and ask for forgiveness when there's a misunderstanding or conflict. Broken people, take the initiative. Let me try to wrap things up here momentarily. Proud people don't think they need revival, but they sure think everyone else does. Broken people continually sense their need for revival. Elijah had his battle on Mount Carmel, then went into the depths of despair because of Jezebel, and then goes and asks that God would take his life. You see, God is breaking Elijah, even Elijah, the man of God, even Elijah and all of his power, even Elijah and all of his wonderful, mighty works. God had to break him. But he gets to the other side of the River Jordan and he passes down the mantle. And the greatest and the best happens on the other side of Jordan. When the chariot of fire and the whirlwind comes, and God translates him into his presence. Jacob, all of his life, had taken advantage of people. He had used the name of God. If I could bring it to modern-day application, he used his Christianity to manipulate people and get what he wanted. God had to break him. David had reached a breaking point in the scriptures and the Psalms and God had taken him. We heard about his sin with Bathsheba. We know about his numbering the children of Israel. We know about the stumblings and the sin of David. But wait a minute. We have a Psalm 51 in the Bible recorded where God crushed the man of God, where God crushed David in order to set him on the throne. There are some things in our life that need to be broken. To us, broken things are despised and worthless, but to God, he delights in using them. Years ago, a friend of mine, he's in heaven now, Gene Blackburn, I preached several meetings for him in Montana, and uh, they had a Christian school, had about 200, I don't even remember, 230, 250 students in the school in the upper learning center. And I've been studying a message on the wind of God. <clears throat> it's the only time I'd preached it. I'd just give some thoughts on it another time, picked it back up studying it recently, <clears throat> and how God uses the different winds. That morning, God led me to preach on God's east wind and how he uses the east wind in the Bible. While I was preaching, <clears throat> two young men stood up in rebellion and stormed out of the chapel. It wouldn't be until years later I would meet up with them in the Washington State Penitentiary. 
They got up in that service that morning, went to their grandpa's house, stole his Torino, and went on a crime spree through Montana, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. They were busted in the state of Washington and caught up with. And I got into a prison revival at the Washington State Penitentiary and I'm preaching one night and a man comes up to me and he says, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no, sir, I really don't. He said, do you remember preaching in a Christian school in the state of Montana and two guys got up and stormed out because they were mad at your message? I said, yes, sir, I remember that. He said, I was one of those two. And I said, do you want to tell me the rest of the story? And he told me how they'd went out and stole their grandpa's Torino, their car, his car, and took off on a crime spree. And they're going to spend the rest of their life. They hadn't murdered anyone, but they're going to spend the rest of their life from all the crime spree they'd had and done. And in a matter of less than one month, they run their entire life. They'll die in prison. In the same meeting, the same meeting, a young man came to me sobbing and he stood and I tried to point him to one of the teachers of the counselors. He said, no, I want to speak to you personally. And I asked Brother Blackburn and Brother Nolan to take the meeting and take over the pulpit and I got on my knees with him at the altar and he's sobbing and he said, Brother Ellis, now I remind you, this is probably uh, up to 28 or maybe even 30 years ago. He said, Brother Ellis, I came to school today and I planned on shooting up everybody in this school. And I thought he was kidding. I really did. I didn't take him serious. He, and he must have sensed it. He said, no, I'm dead serious, preacher. He said, in my backpack, I brought a pistol and I'm going to shoot up everybody in school when the school's out. He said, but while you was preaching, the Holy Ghost of God began to stir my heart. You see, he was raised in church. He knew about the Holy Ghost. He knew about the Bible. I said, oh, wait just a minute. I said, Brother Blackburn, I need you. Brother Blackburn got with him. Brother Nolan, he produced his gun. He repented and got right with God. And his life was changed. Christ was despised and rejected. And I want to say this, if I may, briefly going through this, brokenness is not necessarily suffering with pain and things of that nature, but God can use suffering in order to break us. It may be a rebellious child. It may be a jobless situation. It may be a money situation. It may be a family blow up. It might be depression. It might be a church that is walking in rebellion. It might be a child that has broke your heart. Or it might be a mother or father, young people. But you hear me this morning, this afternoon. God can use brokenness. Often God will use things he don't even condone to break us. And I want to say this, and I'll try to wrap it up here shortly. Can I take just a couple of minutes, preacher? God cannot use half 
full, but not half. You cannot sit here and be half dedicated to God and expect God to use you. You can't be half broken and expect God to use you. We must be totally broken and yielded to the will of God because God only uses broken things that he can take and remote and remake. He is only going to be able to use those that are broken by his hand and that God has moved in our life. And you listen to me today, especially the young people. While our brother was preaching this morning, the Holy Spirit of God convicted me about the youth that are here. And I'm not saying they're all, uh, oh, thank God, the whole youth crowd of our nation has not gone to the devil. They have not gone to the way of the world, but too many of them have. And there may be those sitting here saying in your mind, you just wait till I get back. I've already got it planned out. And some of you sitting on the side of my voice, I hope I'm okay, preacher. I didn't have, I've got notes. I preached with them, but it's not in my notes. Some of you wouldn't dare use a foul language at home. But you'll go home and you'll wind that door up and slam it until about drops every picture off the house walls up to the floor. You say, what is that? That's Christian customs, what I like to say. I've been in prison work for 37 years, going on close to 38. And I've never had one young man or one young lady. In fact, I've asked on numerous occasions, dozens of occasions, now, how many of you with us tonight? When you was a young man or a young lady, set out to go to prison when you got a little older. Anyone, anywhere? And you know, I've never had one single hand to go up. Not one. How many of you wanted to grow up and become a fireman or a doctor or a lawyer? You wanted to do something along that line. And I've had multiple hands go up, but never one hand that go up and said, Preacher, when I was a young man or young lady, I wanted to go to prison and commit all the crimes I could. Never! What is brokenness? Very quickly, it is an awareness of our inability or our insufficiency. You see, the reason some of us, I'm not saying all of it, don't misunderstand me. The reason some of us are struggling so much, so often with the same thing over and over is because we still think we can handle it. Secondly, it's an act of God working to strip us of all of our pride, all of our opinions, and all of our self-sufficiencies. Thirdly, it's a time that God works in our life and sometimes it's a series of events such as in Romans 8, 28 and 8, 29 that God allows into our life to break us and remake us and mold us to his glory. True brokenness from God will produce, listen to me, true brokenness from God when God brings his hand down and God does the breaking. You can mark it down. True brokenness always brings with it lasting change. Let me get them to the instruments and get ready to close. What do you do? 
Why don't you just come to an altar and say, God, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of myself. Just do with me what you will. Have you asked him to bring your family members to the Lord? You see, there's another side of brokenness. On the other side of Jacob's brokenness, God called him Israel and changed his name. On the other side of brokenness, Joseph became second in command over Egypt. On the other side of Job's brokenness, God blessed him and gave him twice as much. Brokenness does several things, but I'm gonna give you three and I'm done. One, it'll bring us closer to God. Secondly, godly brokenness will build character and integrity and discipline in our lives. And thirdly, it'll strip us from all self-sufficiency. May I just say this as I've skimmed through my thoughts. Have you taken time to thank God for your brokenness? You say, preacher, you have no idea what I'm going through. I don't. But he does. And he has a divine purpose in your life and mine. If I was sitting here today, I'd already be in this altar. If my heart was in rebellion against God. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God may be using that rebellious church member to break us. God may be using a deacon that is cantankerous to break us. God may be using the circumstances, young person, that you're in right now because God loves you enough that he wants to break you so that he can make something out of your life. You have ambitions and dreams, but what you don't realize is the end is the ways of death destruction and damnation. I remember a prisoner that I escorted to the funeral of his daughter. His wife had pulled out in front of a Greyhound bus and got T-boned and the car rolled and flipped several times. And it threw the little infant out onto the highway and the bus rolled over in the wreck and landed on top of the infant. I remember escorting him to the Funeral, and as he walked by the casket, he looked over at that little baby. And I don't even know why they had the casket open. It was a horrible sight. And he looked over in the casket and he began to cry and scream, Oh God! Oh God! I wish I'd have done right. I wish I'd stayed out of prison. I wish I'd have been there so I could have protected you. All the Lord wants to do all the time. All He wants to do is just break it so we can bless you. If you're a young person here today, you've got a heart of rebellion. I want you to know God has a purpose for your life. Don't wreck it, don't run it. 
Let him wrap his everlasting arms around you. Let him come down with his grace and help you today. Oh, God, help us. People are still coming. Maybe you're sitting here as a young man or young lady. You need to go to your mother or dad or your guardian if you're in a home or wherever it might be and just say, would you pray for me? God, help me. I don't want to rebel this heart. Would you just pray that God would help me? God uses broken things. And David said, the Lord will not reject them. Go ahead and sing for us, brother. Waters, if you would, please.